In the NFL, it's cut and dry. You win your division, you make the playoff. In college football, there is subjectivity. Hello and welcome in. Today is Wednesday, May 10th. That's right. It's a really important day in my world. I'll explain why in just a minute. But we have a very exciting show for you today. But before we get into what we're going to discuss, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. Helps the show out. Always open to feedback. Always collegefootball at gmail.com. And you can hit up the show. Always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. Jack's here. Jake's here. Kubiak's here. I'm Greg. And today is my 35th birthday. I know that's, I don't know if that's old or young or where that whole thing sorts out. I feel ancient though. And I especially feel ancient, by the way. When I have kids that are like 22 coming up to me, like, man, I used to love watching you play when I was a kid. Like, dude, you are a kid. What are you talking about? Like, you're you're now an adult and you watched me when I was a kid? Like, what are we talking about? Like, it's it's a little bit of a love-hate relationship that I have with birthdays, but I was born May 10th of 1988. So in an effort to celebrate my birthday, because I don't like to celebrate birthdays, but I will celebrate college football in place of my birthday. We decided to put together a list of the 35 things that I love about college football. We got a whole bunch of different things that we want to hit. And we kind of broke them up, not necessarily in superlatives, but you'll understand in just a little bit why I'm going the order that I'm going in. This is by no means ranked in, this is my number one thing that I love the most. No, it's not, it's not that. But there are certain variations of superlatives built into the list. So without much further ado, let's celebrate the birthday by listing off the 35 things we love about college football. The 35 things that we love most about college football. Now, I understand this, okay? There might be some notable omissions, but I would... Just advise all of you, if you're going to be critical, I can't believe you left out that. Try putting together a list of 35 superlatives about college football. It's not very easy. It's actually quite difficult. I tried to group a lot of teams. I, by the way, also didn't go like conference by conference. Oh, we, we have eight SEC, so we got to have eight Big 12, and we got to have eight Pac-12. No, we didn't really do that. Just threw things together that came off the top of our head after reviewing Countless lists of traditions and aspects of the game that we love. There are some notable omissions. If you feel like we purposefully omitted your school, I can promise you we didn't. It just escaped us as we went through the thousands upon thousands of things that we love about college football. Because frankly, it's kind of hard to come up with just a list of 35. I love the sport so much. You guys know this. Like I'm obsessed with college football, have been forever. So to come up with a list and to leave a few things out was not the easiest thing in the world, but let's give it a try, all right? Let's start with the lifestyle division of things that we love most about college football. Let's start with number one, short slogans, okay? Short slogans. Now, these are kind of, in a way in which you say aloha on the Hawaiian Islands, that's kind of what these have become depending on where it is that you live. So for instance, you say hook them. Yeah, that's a short slogan. Maybe you say hook them, hey, like, hey, hook them. What's up? Like you say hello to people. Roll tide, gig them, woo pig, go blue, hottie toddy, OH. 
go pokes, you name like they're like short slogans in college football. It immediately in a very, very short two-word increment connects people from all walks of life. Short slogans is number one. Number two, simple traditional uniforms. Now, some people like the extravagance. More on them in just a minute. But simple, traditional uniforms. When I turn on the TV and I see that uniform color combination, I know exactly who that is. Now, there are variations that are pretty cool. Like when Ohio State wears black, it's pretty cool. But guess what? I don't love it. It's okay. It's cool. I don't love it. It's okay. But traditional uniforms, the Bama's, the Georgias, the Ohio States, the LSU's, the Texas, the Oklahoma's, the Michigan's, the Texas A&M's, the USC's, the Notre Dame's. Those are what I love most about college football, the traditionals where the kit has un, the kit is unchanged over the course of a generation or more. And it's synonymous with the university itself. Number two, simple traditional uniforms. Number three, going within the simple traditional uniforms, the Golden Dome of Notre Dame. That simple golden 24 karat flaked gold helmet to me is perfection. Probably because I grew up watching Rudy, like all of you, and Rudy wanted to spray paint the helmets before the game when he was part of the pep rally club or whatever the heck it was. Like, I love the golden dome. And to see those things in person, to see how they sparkle under a perfect Autumn afternoon is a really cool thing. Is it my favorite helmet? Arguably, perhaps. If it's not number one, it's certainly in the top two or three. But the Golden Dome of Notre Dame, those golden helmets would be number three. At number four, the Ohio State Buckeye, the actual Buckeye sticker. Now, the tradition goes back to 1967 and 68, when the Buckeyes switched to silver helmets. Now, Woody Hayes started rewarding the players for making big-time plays with that Buckeye Leaf sticker that they placed on the helmet. And I always thought to myself, man, how cool would it be to race amongst your teammates to see who can fill up their helmet the fastest with the Buckeye sticker? It's unique. It's traditional. And I think it's just one of the coolest traditions there is in the sport. Number five. Oregon's uniform combinations. Now, I know a lot of different programs have different uniform combinations, but Oregon, to me, they're the only one that actually makes it appropriate. Now, I won't necessarily go down the rabbit hole that was the 2015 National Championship game, where Oregon, their, their colors are yellow and green, right? That's what Oregon, that's Oregon's colors. Like, that's, that's the Joey Harrington helmet with the O is what I grew up with, I guess, to a certain extent. But when they went out there in the championship game, they didn't wear one speck of orange, of green or yellow. Didn't make any sense to me. They went with silver and white, but either way, they looked pretty clean to begin with. Oregon's uniform combinations is pretty neat. I kind of feel forced to put this on here because I want to appeal slightly to a younger audience, and the swag game is important, but at the same time, it's not the end-all be-all. Still love the fact that Oregon was the first and will continue to have the million different combinations of uniforms on a year-in, year-out basis. All right, That sums up kind of the lifestyle portion of the 35 things that we love. Moving on to the music portion. And at first, I didn't anticipate 
music being such a big part of this list. But as I got down the rabbit hole, I realized just how important a specific song or an aspect of your game day experience is when listening to a piece of music. So this is the music portion of the 35 things that we love about college football. Number six, the bands. Need I say more? And I remember vividly being in stadiums during the 2020 year in the Big Ten when there was nobody there. And I remember how empty it felt, not because there were no fans. And I remember going to certain places and they were half full or a quarter full, whatever the circumstances may be. It wasn't the crowd noise that made it feel just eerily quiet. It was the lack of that big band presence. And I think about some of the great bands in the land, whether it be you know, the world's largest drum with Purdue. The Longhorns obviously claimed that gigantic drum too, but Purdue beat them to the punch back in the day. The best damn band in the land at Ohio State, Spear of Troy, the sonic boom of the South in Jackson State, the fight in Texas Aggie band, the golden band from Tigerland at LSU, the million dollar band in Tuscaloosa, like all those bands to me, First of all, I know how hard band members work. And I remember in college as a player, I remember we would be driving first thing in the morning to one of our two-a-day practices. And I'd drive by the Million Dollar Band Stadium right there off University and Bryan. It's right in between the two. You can't miss it. You take a look. They're out there practicing before we were practicing. And then we'd go home that night. And they were still out there practicing when we were done for the day. Bands work their tails off and they are synonymous with college football. And while we do have some band presence in the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens have a band. There's a couple of other teams that have bands. It's not like college. That sets us apart. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate the bands and what they mean to the game and to the game day experience across the entire country, specifically within the bands. Let's go to the dotting of the I. That's number seven. Dating back to 1936, dotting of the I by the best damn band in the land is probably one of the biggest honors you can have in college football. Obviously, the script Ohio, how they do that without tripping over themselves. I still, every time I call an Ohio State game, I make it a point to stand and watch how they do that. I don't know how they do it. I've never quite figured it out, but it is a modern marvel how they can perfectly synchronize every single member of the band to do that cursive O-H-I-O. It's so Awesome to watch that, to think just how important it is to get that opportunity to go dot the I. And knowing that there have been some legendary people that have dotted the I before you is a pretty cool aspect. That's why it comes in at number seven. At number eight, why would I do something for Ohio State if I don't do something for the Michigan Wolverines? I think Hail to the Victors is the best fight song in the country. Now, everybody might feel a little bit differently, but Hail to the Victors is my number one. Just, it feels collegial. Now, Notre Dame would be in the mix. There'd be a few others that would be in the mix, but Hail to the Victors, to me, is about as good as it gets. It's catchy. It gets stuck in my head every time I call a Michigan game. And I think it's one of the great staples of college football, probably dating back to when I was playing NCAA football on PlayStation or Xbox, whatever the heck I was playing it on. I feel like Hail to the Victors is always the first song up when I was selecting my team and selecting my uniforms and all those other aspects. So Hail to the Victors, that is number eight. Number 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, and 14 are all specific songs that are synonymous with a university and or a moment within a game 
at the university. Let's start with number nine, Take Me Home Country Roads. When you go and you are in Morgantown for a game, it's pretty cool. When they all start singing in unison, the John Denver classic from 1971, and knowing that the Mountaineers have adopted that as their official song, you can hear it now at every single home game. It's just you can't wait to hear that song when you're standing there in the stadium in Morgantown. That's number nine. Number 10, Colin Baton Rouge in Tiger Stadium. And when you hear over the PA, you hear the sun has set in the western sky. It is now nighttime in Death Valley. And then all of a sudden, it's one of the coolest things you'll ever possibly find. And then they back it up like one thing after, everything about an LSU home game is in the mix. But Colin Baton Rouge comes in at number 10 because I love Garth Brooks. And I think that is just one of the coolest things because the entire stadium is singing it at the top of their lungs. It's phenomenal. At number 11, Sweet Home Alabama. Obviously, look, I'm a Bama guy. Shouldn't really surprise you. But after they get done announcing the starting lineups, there's a brief pause. Just a brief pause, maybe a two-second pause. And all of a sudden, then every single person in the stands with their pom-poms going up like crazy and singing Sweet Home Alabama, Roll Tide Roll, Where the Skies Are So Blue, all the other things and having the chorus that go along with it is phenomenal. Now, other people would say Dixieland Delight with Alabama. Other people might say Ramajama with Alabama. Both are terrific. They're awesome. I think they're terrific traditions. But to me, when Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama comes over to the PA right before a big game after the starting lineups are announced, it means it's go time, man. Let's get it going and ramp it up a little bit. At number 12, Sandstorm at South Carolina. Now, Sandstorm at South Carolina is one of those songs where you really never want to hear it again unless you're in Williams-Brice. It's the only place where I ever want to hear Sandstorm. I'm not really into the techno stuff. It's not really my thing. But I'd be remiss if I didn't see people going absolutely bananas Every time you're the and then it you know kind of ramps down and then boom everyone loses their mind. It's really a cool moment in a Williams Rice Stadium. I think it's one of those things that you have to experience as a college football fan. Super super cool and one that you absolutely have to take in. That comes in at number twelve. At number thirteen, Wisconsin's jump around. Now, I, I look at at House of Pain's catalog and jump around. You could say this is a song. You could say it's a moment in the game where everyone's just going absolutely crazy there before the fourth quarter. But when everyone's just jumping out of control in the middle of the game, I didn't know if it was more of a moment or more of the song, but I kind of just decided to keep it in the music portion because it's so synonymous with the music. All right. There'll be others that come up here a little bit later on the list like a stadium entrance that are synonymous with music as well. But to me, jump around could have gone in either direction. I decided to keep it here in the music portion of our list. It comes in at number 13 and then at 14 Rocky top. Okay. Rocky top. When you play Tennessee and when we played Tennessee, the weight room, the entire week that you were going into the weight room to work out, you're listening to Rocky top on repeat. It's the only song that was played in the entire building for a six-day period. 
from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you didn't lift on Friday. Some of the guys did. We didn't. You're listening to Rocky Top on repeat. You can't get your workout done fast enough. But as I've gotten older, I've started to realize and appreciate just how often they play that song. Of course, it started being played there in Neyland Stadium back in the 1970s. And it's really cool to be a part of it, especially as Tennessee is starting to get rolling again. All right, that's the music portion of being in the stadium and the in-stadium experience. But at number 15, also in the music portion, there's very little that feels more collegial than hearing CBS at 3.30 Eastern time with Vern and Gary and recently with Brad and Gary, and this song strikes up. And then I go back to my childhood, back when I turn on ABC and you get to listen to Keith Jackson, and next thing you know, you're hearing this song as things are beginning to ramp up within the stadium. And then moving forward just a little bit more throughout my high school years and my college years, this song that is closely associated, obviously, with the BCS era of college football, it's tough to beat this song as well. So at number 15, TV music is about as good as it gets because not all of us can be in the stadium. Not all of us can appreciate that of the actual atmosphere itself. But I'll tell you what, the second I hear those jingles with CBS and ABC and Fox and even in the NFL with NBC Sunday Night Football, the dun, 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 dun. I mean, there's something about knowing that big thing is going to go down. And I know that when I hear the first couple notes of those individual tracks, I know we're off to the races with something special for the next four hours. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, moving on to the tailgate portion. This isn't as much as I originally thought. I thought tailgating would be a far larger part of one of the reasons why I love college football, but I actually was able to kind of limit it to just a couple of examples in which it's unique. Let's start with the Grove. That's at number 16. Shouldn't really require a whole lot of explanation. Anyone that's ever been to Oxford, Mississippi knows that if you walk onto the Grove prior to the game, it's one of the great experiences you've ever seen. Now, they always famously say they might lose the game, but they'll never lose a party. I would maybe say that LSU fans might have something to say about that, but something not necessarily a competition we need to judge at this moment. But when there are actual crystal chandeliers hanging from pop-up tents, 
that tells you the people have clearly gone all out. Just do me a favor. The next time you're in Oxford, Mississippi, prior to a game, take 30 minutes and do a lap around the Grove. You'll thank me later. At number 17, I actually combined these two because I felt like it was a unique tailgating experience. The Vol Navy and the Washington Water tailgating. Now let's start with the Vol Navy. 1962, George Mooney, who was the Vol's broadcaster at that point, is tired of just trying to battle traffic and route to the game. So instead, he decided to take his boat to Neyland Stadium. Next thing you know, it led to the adoption of the Vol Navy and the rest is history. The Washington Huskies have a very similar tradition. Now fans rally outside Husky Stadium in boats, almost a thousand by the way, at times outside the great Northwest there. And it's become very common for people to just go and park their boat for a three-day period throughout the course of a Washington home game. So I guess water tailgating in both at both Knoxville, Tennessee and in Seattle, Washington would lead to it being number 17. Let's go next to the mascot portion of why we love college football. A few in particular that you kind of love. All right, one... Live mascots. That's number 18. Ugga, Smokey, Bevo, Mike the Tiger. There's a million of them. Okay, a million. Live mascots across the board. Absolutely love them. At number 19, Ralphie gets its own piece of the pie. How often are you seeing a buffalo that's 400 pounds running on the field at 25 miles an hour? Right. To me, seems crazy, but... It is one of the cooler traditions in college football. I love Ralphie. That's why she, believe it or not, comes in at number 19. So Ralphie, gotta love it. Totally. One other thing too, is a Texas A&M yell leader considered a mascot? I'm just asking the question. I really don't know. I put the Texas A&M yells and the Texas A&M yell leaders in as something I love about college football. That's at number 20. People always make fun of Texas A&M and say how ridiculous it is and how it's weird that people leave the bars at midnight to go practice their cheers. To me, I think it's super cool. It's unique to the place. And I've always thought that if you have things that make you stand out, that make you different, that make you fun, I guess, if you want to engage in that sort of thing, then so be it. So I had the yell leaders under the mascot part because they're leading the cheers. What is more important than getting fans fired up? Isn't that the mascot's job? I feel like Yell Leader does that pretty dang well, whether it be at midnight yell or as they're sawing varsity's horns off, they're in the stadium on game day. So the AM yells and Yell Leaders come in at number 20. Let's go next to the in-stadium action. That's the in-stadium action portion of what we love about college football. At 21, we love stadium entrances. I think stadium entrances are probably as cool a part of the game day experience as just about anything else. When a team runs onto the field, having prepared all week for the opportunity to go it up and lay it all on the line between the white lines, stadium entrances are so freaking awesome. And I picked out a few that I felt were pretty special. Running through the T at Neyland Stadium. Look, I, I think it's super cool. I, some people say it's a little overrated. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think it's pretty neat. It's a unique setup. You make a hard 90 degree right turn and they're on their bench. I think it's super cool. The Miami smoke entrance. Now this one to me, I absolutely love. Now it has faded a little bit in its lore. But I think about when I was a kid, I was 13 years old when Miami was probably at their peak. You can say they were at their peak in the years that I was born, the late 80s, early 90s, fine. To me, 
2000, 2001, 2002 Miami was pretty dang special. Those were my most impressionable years. And when I saw Ed Reed, Willis McGahee, Ken Dorsey, all these other guys run out of the tunnel with smoke as if there's, you know, these guys are possessed running out of the fire onto the field. I knew that there was pretty unlikely that Miami was going to get beat that day. They hardly ever lost. And that tradition where they run through the smoke dates all the way back to the 1950s. They actually started with fire extinguishers, but now, of course, they've evolved to where it's a little bit different. The smoke entrance is just super cool when it comes to Miami. And then perhaps one of my favorite entrances in all of college football, probably still one of the most underrated entrances. I don't feel like it ever gets talked about as much as it probably should. But when Virginia Tech plays Enter Sandman and they go onto the field, I don't know if I can ever recall having more goosebumps than when I saw this for the very first time. Now, Virginia Tech was rolling at that point. They were really good. So seeing it up close and personal when Virginia Tech was rolling was a pretty special part of it. I also think Metallica is awesome at the same time. So you take that into account. And this was the one where I said, hey, I could probably include this in the music that's synonymous with college football. This would have been one that could have very easily fit in that category, but I decided to keep it in the stadium entrances portion as opposed to moving it up with the music portion because I just love how they enter onto the field with that blasting in the background. Super cool aspect of it. At 22, I felt like this one kind of needed a kind of a, a bullet point of its own. Let's go with Howard's Rock at Clemson. Of course, look, every time they go down the field, every time they run the hill, they take the buses all the way around. It's just a super cool moment, super cool tradition, old school. And the fact that they touch the rock, it's named after Frank Howard. It's one of the more iconic parts of college football, a great tradition that's been so important for so many years to the Clemson Tiger faithful. That's at number 22. At number 23, one of the best new traditions in college football, that's the Kinnick Wave. Now, Kinnick Stadium is, of course, right next to the Iowa State Family Children's Hospital. And that special moment during every single Iowa home game at the end of the first quarter when every single person in the entire stadium waves to the children there in the hospital, it brings you know a tear to your eye. It's special moment. And to see the relationship and the joy on those kids' faces is just remarkable. I love this new tradition. I hope it continues for a generation and more. It's just really, really special and appreciate all the wonderful people at Iowa for bringing it to light over the last couple of years. There's also been a lot of great pieces written about it the last couple of years as well and a bunch of video tributes as well. So check those out. It's just a really special thing. The Kinnick Wave without question right there in with its own bullet point at number 23. At number 24, the pregame planting of weapons. The two in particular stand out to me. Anytime you go to a USC home game, sitting there in the Coliseum right before the game starts, you see Tommy Trojan run out there on the field and him planting that gigantic sword right in the middle field, which ceremoniously means that it's Trojan territory. It's a great tradition. But the one that is actually just a little bit better than that, Chief Osceola, riding in on the back of Renegade, flaming spear there in the doke. And as Florida State has regained in prominence, man, it is just so electric, especially at night. You see that flaming spear go down, and then boom, Renegade takes off almost at full speed, man. It's the unofficial mascot, but man, 
super cool when you look at Chief Osceola and Renegade there with the Flaming Spear. So planting a weapon at the 50-yard line there as number 24, those two stood out to me more than any others. The Sooner Schooner comes in at number 25. Now, this dates back to the 1960s when the Sooner Schooner didn't become official with Oklahoma until the 1980s. Now, settlers, of course, you know they all took wagons through the Oklahoma Trail and whatnot. Well, the Schooner is pulled by two very pretty white horses, I might add, named Boomer and Sooner. And every time you watch the Sooner Schooner, it's just rickety enough for your nervous wreck. And that thing is moving too. You got people on it, things tipped over in the past, but it's just, it's reckless. It's wild. It's absolutely chaotic. And it's become synonymous with every single time Oklahoma scores a touchdown and the way that they obviously take the field early in the game. So the Sooner Schooner gets its own spot as number 25. At number 26, I love choreographed fan movements. So a few that stand out to me, the Tomahawk Chop with Florida State, the USC V for Victory, the Gator Chop down there in the swamp, the waving song at Oklahoma State. You guys know the one. I think those choreographed fan movements, you have them at Texas A&M as well. We referenced them a little bit earlier with yell practice and how they saw Varsity's horns off, and they all go arm in arm all the way across the stadium and wave back and forth. Super cool. See a ton of other places that have similar type of in-stadium experiences, but I love the choreographed moments that you get from these fans as they all come together to try to create a hostile environment for the opposition. At number 27, Mississippi State Cowbells. Now, remember the SEC outlawed the Cowbell in 1974, but they actually made a return in 2010. And of course, everybody was told at that time to, quote, ring responsibly, and they have. You do a game at Mississippi State, yes, It's about as loud as it gets with those cowbells, especially if you're looking at the 50-yard line. The left side of the stadium is all student section. And if you're down there with your back to that part of the stadium coming out, you're on your own three or four-yard line, you better go silent count, man, because it will be impossible to be able to hear with those cowbells going absolutely crazy. That comes in at number 27. At number 28, the whiteout game at Penn State. Now, it was first introduced. I was surprised by this. I thought it went back a little bit further, but it's less than 20 years old, introduced in 2004. And it was a way to kind of revive interest in a Penn State program that at that point really hadn't been playing that well, but it's quickly become one of college football's most recognized traditions. Of course, Kirk Herbstreet has famously called it the best student section in the country. That was during the 2005 game between Ohio State and Penn State. And Urban Meyer said that it was the craziest atmosphere and that that atmosphere alone was worth 10 points. Now, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the whiteout game last year for the very first time. They played Minnesota. It got sideways. I think it would have been maybe even a little bit more chaotic, obviously, had they played against Ohio State. But I digress. Still an amazing atmosphere and a bucket list activity for me to not only get to Penn State for a game, but to be a part of the whiteout was one that I will always be appreciative of knowing that I've checked that off my bucket list. At number 29, this gets into the rivalry section, and there are so many rivalries that will be left out of this discussion. So many. So don't 
you know, don't flood my inbox and say, well, you forgot this. We know that we forgot it. Okay. But because we couldn't have a list of 335 things, we had to limit it to 35. We couldn't have every rivalry that we love listed in the rivalry section. So we had to list off and take out just a few. Let's start at number 29 with the Army Navy game. Do I really need to say a whole lot about that? You guys know this is my favorite tradition in college football. The cadet march, obviously, onto the field, both with Army and Navy. Every single student there in attendance, every single student donned in their attire, and knowing that it's a game where there's mutual respect. And I think when I talked with one of the players, he said, look, we may be adversaries on the field, but we are brothers and sisters that are going to pr protect the greatest country in the world. That to me was all I needed to hear for me to be sold. That was back in 2014. It's been my favorite game ever since, and nothing's going to replace it anytime soon. Let's go next to the Red River Shootout, Red River Rivalry, Red River Showdown, whatever they're calling it nowadays. I grew up with the Red River Shootout, so I'll call it that at least for the moment. Played at the Cotton Bowl to see that stadium divided at the 50-yard line. Crimson on one side, burnt orange on the other, and no love lost between the two. Now, I was never fortunate enough going to the game to sit on the 50-yard line, but I would imagine it gets pretty uncomfortable in that section that is divided right down the middle. And the fact that it's played in the historic venue like the Cotton Bowl is super cool. Of course, this will be moving to the SEC sooner than later, but the Red River shootout, showdown, rivalry to me, is as good a rivalry and as important a rivalry to my childhood and my appreciation for college football as as any other. I've been a nine of them and have called one of them. So I went to eight as a fan. Should tell you all you need to know about my appreciation of that matchup. Let's go next to Michigan and Ohio State. I don't need to say a whole lot here. Like when anytime you refuse to prefer to your rival by name, but simply as the team up north. That should tell you all you need to know. And to know that Ryan Day last year, hey, yeah, you've been to playoff games. Yeah, you've played in national championship games. Yeah, you've been amazing and consistent and successful and has put forth a remarkably exciting product and great players the last few years. Guess what? You lose to Michigan two times in a row. Yeah, you're feeling the heat. <laughs> that tells you all you need to know about where this rivalry is and just how much these two teams hate each other. I move next to number 32. Alabama and Auburn, the Iron Bowl. It's the only rivalry to me. Now, I've been a part of it, a bunch of them, and have lived with the outcomes of many. It's the only rivalry to me where almost every single one has a story. Now, there are obviously some years where it isn't competitive and the game is forgotten. But even the worst Auburn team has given some of the best Bama teams great games. Even the most average Bama teams given some of the best Auburn teams great games. And this rivalry, the fact that it's in a state with a not a massive population, you're forced to pick a side. You live in the state of Alabama, you choose Auburn or Alabama, and you choose them at birth. And if you choose neither, they both hate you. That should sum up the rivalry beautifully. And the fact that they play each other with many houses divided on Thanksgiving Day is pretty dang remarkable in and of itself. I think it's one of the most intense rivalries that you'll find in the sport. And then at number 33, USC and UCLA, but not for the reason that you might think. Now, you're going to think, well, you know, USC, UCLA, I mean, SC's been better. UCLA's had some years for sure. But specific to this rivalry, both teams wear their home uniforms. And you got to give credit to Pete Carroll and Rick Neuheisel. They were all about 
it back in 2008 when Pete Carroll asked Rick Neuheisel, hey, you want to go old school and have both teams wear home uniforms in the matchup? Yeah, the tradition had gone away for 26 years, but it returned in 2008 and has been here for the last 15. I love that this is a rivalry in which you have such beautiful, beautiful colors on both sides, <laughs> obviously with the beautiful UCLA blue and the USC Trojan home uniform, which to me is one of my favorite uniforms in the sport. See those clash there sometimes in the Rose Bowl. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that. That comes in at number 33. At number 34, just a couple more here. Post-game celebration, I'm going to say Tumor's Corner to me is unique. Rolling of the trees, there's a million other, any post-game celebration I might add, whether it be Tennessee where they carried an upright and threw it in the Tennessee River, rolling Tumor's Corner, storming of the field, post-game celebrations are unique to college football. In the NFL, your team wins, you don't rush the field. I know commissioners and athletic directors are like, we don't like when they rush the field. Like they damage property. They take selfies. Like we rush the field for everything nowadays. Fine. It's unique to college football. Post-game celebrations are insane. And the videos that you get are insane. And if you're there experiencing a massive upset or an outcome that was completely unexpected, the storming of the field is icing on the cake. And to see the mass chaos as everyone's coming down the stands onto the field is something that is super unique to the sport. That's why a post-game celebration, storming of the field, rolling a tumor's corner, throwing it upright into the Tennessee River, that's unique to the sport. That's why it comes in at number 34 and at number 35. Last but certainly not least, another part that makes our sport so remarkably unique are the debates. I love the debates. We have them. You and I, I'm sure you guys sit around at lunch. You guys sit around the dinner table. You guys sit around, you know, or talk on the phone with friends, whatever the circumstances are. And you are debating in constant debate about whether or not your conference is superior, whether or not your team is superior, whether or not we have this, who's the best coach of all time, who's the best team of all time, who's going to make the playoff this year, who's not going to make the playoff this year. In the NFL, it's cut and dry. You win your division, you make the playoff. In college football, there is subjectivity. And while that makes a lot of us uncomfortable, I'd be lying. There are parts of the job that I really don't like because we have to draw conclusions about whether a team is better than another team, even though they haven't played each other or they don't have any like-minded opponents. I don't like that necessarily all the time, but it does make our sport unique. The debate the arguments, the intensity with which we go about defending our team is unique to our sport. And that's why it has to be in there as number 35, the debates and the subjectivity of the sport that we love so much. Like we told you at the beginning of the show, it's almost impossible to boil down all the things we love about college football. And honestly, to end up at only 35 was a lot more difficult than you might think. We probably could have gone deep into the hundreds with all the things that we love about college football. As you guys know, look, we live it. We eat, sleep, drink, breathe it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I can't get enough of it. I know you guys feel the exact same way if you're here with us on a daily basis here at Always College Football. So we appreciate 
you guys celebrating my birthday with me and allowing us to take a little bit of time to just celebrate all the great things that we love about the sport that we cover every single day. All right, Mac, right, hold on. I got, I got one little thing I wanted to play for you here. Uh, just from a buddy. Hey, Greg, happy 35th birthday. I know age 34 flew by, kind of like Tennessee's receivers running through the Alabama secondary when we scored 52 on you this past October. You remember that, pal? I think you do. Anyway, have a great celebration tonight. Enjoy a victory cigar on me. I appreciate your friendship. Just remember, though, Coach Saban asked me to make sure to remind you it's lights out by 10 tonight, pal. All the best, buddy. Happy birthday. Peyton, I appreciate that. Uh, excellent stuff. Uh, yes, the receivers did get free from time to time. I'm glad you enjoyed that. The last time Tennessee beat Alabama, I was in my teens. So I'm glad that you guys got to enjoy this past year. Congratulations. Hopefully that victory cigar that you enjoyed last year, that'll be the last one we see until I turn 50. If history repeats itself, that's likely to happen to you and your volunteers. But thanks, Peyton. We appreciate it. Uh, it's been a great year. 35 years old. Can't believe I'm as old as I am, but I digress. Hopefully, we'll be able to do this for 35 more years because I tell you what, man, I can't get enough of what we're doing here on this platform. We're just getting started. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We can't wait to continue to provide a ton of off-season conversation. We have so many different things that we need to get to as far as summer storylines, spring storylines, overreactions, fan base kind of temperature checks, things like that. So we have a lot that we have to look forward to. But thanks to all of you for being with me on my birthday. Thanks to Peyton. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to Jake. I'm Greg. As always, wishing you a terrific rest of the day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.